So today, we're going to be continuing our lesson series on the doctrine of prayer. This is our third lesson in the series here. And just by way of review. So prayer, if you remember, is an offering up of our desires unto God for things agreeable to his will in the name of Christ by the help of his spirit with confession of our sins and a thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. If you recall, when we looked at prayer, we noted how prayer is not what so often people mistake it for. Prayer is not us, you know, treating God as though he were a genie, so to speak, and we can get whatever we wish from him. Nor was prayer something to where we're just speaking repetitively over and over again without any understanding of what we were saying. Nor was prayer merely talk therapy, something that was meant to be therapeutic, but rather it is an offering up of our desires unto God. And then we also noted that in understanding prayer, some of the presuppositions underlying prayer is that one, that God is really present. Otherwise, who are you talking to? Not only is God actually present and exists, but he is in control of all creation. Not only is God in control of all creation, but he is approachable through Christ. And not only that, but we are in covenantal relationship with him. And it's in light of those presuppositions that we noted that prayer is indeed efficacious. Prayer does work. If we pray to him, we can trust and believe that our prayers can and will be answered according to his will. So what I would like to do now, being as that was the groundwork over the last two lessons that we looked that that we saw, I want to now take our take time to focus on how to pray. Now, Jesus Christ has given us a template of how to pray in the Lord's Prayer. And in the final three lessons, we'll take a look at the contents of the Lord's Prayer to see how we can use that to better our own prayers. Today, what I want to do is focus on the mindset that we ought to have when we enter into prayer. Now, I don't know how often we consider this, but we have to have a proper frame of mind when we are praying to God. Because keep in mind, we are communicating with a holy, holy, holy God. And as such, we need to keep that in mind when we pray to him. Now, this doesn't mean that when we go to God in prayer, we got to use, you know, the old style King's English or that we need to be dressed in a full suit in order to pray to him. But it does mean that we need to have the right mindset. We must not come to prayer with an attitude that does not comprehend the significance of this act. But we must also, of course, balance that with the understanding and the reminder that our God is approachable and that we don't need to be afraid to go to him anytime that we desire. So in our larger catechism in question 185, they actually provide a, a good explanation of how we are to pray, the mindset that we are to have. In prayer. So, again, in the larger catechism, they ask the question, how are we to pray? And the divines answer in this way. They say, we are to pray with an awful apprehension of the majesty of God and deep sense of our own unworthiness, necessities, and sins, 
with penitent, thankful, and enlarged hearts, with understanding, faith, sincerity, fervency, love, and perseverance, waiting upon him with humble submission to his will. So within this answer that we see here, the divines give us the mindset that we ought to have when we approach God in prayer. In this answer, they are saying that when we pray to God, we need to have reverence, humility, thankfulness, understanding, focus, trust, sincerity, persistence, patience, and a submissive heart. This type of mindset, when we employ all of those things mentioned, will help to strengthen our prayer lives. And what I like to do for the remainder of the lesson today is quickly go through each of these points. So let's start with the first, reverence, or as the larger catechism explains it, an awful apprehension of the majesty of God. Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 1 to 3, Guard your steps as you go to the house of God and draw near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Do not be hasty in word or impulsive in thought to bring up a matter in the presence of God, for God is in heaven and you are on the earth. Therefore, let your words be few, for the dream comes through much effort and the voice of a fool through many words. While we have the joyful benefit of being a friend of God, we must never forget that he is still our God. And as such, when we come to him in prayer, we cannot forget the fact that we are communicating with a holy God who rules the world. Charles Hodge, who you're, you will hear me mention um, quite often during this lesson, former president of Princeton Theological Seminary, he makes a very interesting point in his systematic theology on this topic. He notes how, you know, when you read of the accounts in the scriptures, when you get a glimpse into heaven, he asks, what was the disposition of those who were before the throne of God? He notes that they were generally prostrate, prostrate before God or crying out, Holy, holy, holy. There was a reverence there. Now, because we don't see now the full glory of God, you know, we tend to forget his majesty. But let's not forget what God, through the prophet Moses, told Aaron. After God kills his two sons, Nadab and Abihu, when they offered strange fire to him. God says, by those who come near me, I will be treated as holy. And before all the people, I will be honored. So we must have reverence when we go to God in prayer. And if you truly understand the majesty of God, then what ought to naturally follow is a humility. Which brings us to the next point, that humility that you have in knowing that you are unworthy to be standing before such a holy and glorious God. The prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6, when he sees the glory of God, if you know that passage, what was his response? Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah was humbled. When Peter first witnesses a miracle that Jesus performs, 
What was his response? He falls at Jesus' feet and says, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Peter was humbled. We are so innately corrupt and sinful in every fiber of our being that the second that we dare enter before the throne of God, we ought to consider how God would be just to kill us for daring to enter before his throne. And the fact that God does not do that, but rather he takes time to listen to us ought to humble us. You know, Jesus gives us a good example of the humility that we ought to have in the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector in Luke chapter 18. And for those of you who know that parable, then you remember the prayer of the Pharisee versus the prayer of the tax collector. The Pharisee praying says, Lord, I thank you that I am, you know, I'm so, I'm paraphrasing obviously, but I am so good. I am so holy. I mean, I tithe of all I get. I'm not like this tax collector over here. Whereas the tax collector, when he prays, he can't even look up. But he says, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. And who was the one that went away justified? It wasn't the Pharisee who was prideful and arrogant. It was the tax collector who humbled himself. David says in Psalm 51, verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. And then in Psalm 34, verse 18, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. So when you go before the throne of God in prayer, what God wants to see is humility, not a heart that is lifted up, but one that is brought low. So we humble ourselves when we go to God in prayer. Along with reverence and humility is also thankfulness. See, when a person seeks to pray to God, they ought to have a heart that is thankful because God has granted them an ear to hear their petitions rather than a rod to punish them for their sinfulness. That thankful heart isn't just for the fact that God chose to be merciful to us, but also for the fact that God has already blessed us more than we deserve. Paul writes in Philippians 4, verse 6, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. With thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. You know, we tend to forget how fortunate we are, especially when we are in the midst of trials and difficulties. We can become so focused on our problems that we forget the blessings in our lives. But when you come before God in prayer, we must take time to reflect on the blessings that God has bestowed on us. And we ought to be thankful. I mean, think about it. If Job, when he loses everything, his kids, his business, so to speak, his health. If he's able to say, blessed be the name of the Lord, then we ought to be able to do the same regardless of our circumstances. So we need to be thankful when we go to God in prayer. We must also have an understanding mind. 1 Corinthians 14, verses 13 through 15, Paul writes, he says, Therefore, let one who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What is the outcome then? 
I will pray with the spirit and I will pray with the mind also. I will sing with the spirit and I will sing with the mind also. In the church in Corinth, there were abuses as it pertained to the use of spiritual gifts. And one of the abuses were with the supernatural gift of tongues. And this is what Paul is dealing with in this passage. You know, there were people speaking in tongues, but others were not understanding what they were saying. Therefore, there was no benefit to the hearer. They weren't being edified. There has to be an understanding of what's being said. Otherwise, you know what? You might as well be speaking gibberish. And that principle also applies to prayer. I mean, that is why Paul goes on to say in verse 15, I pray with the spirit and I will pray with the mind also. There must be understanding in prayer. You have to know what you're praying when you pray. It can't be a mere just rambling of words. Now, you know, for us being Presbyterian, being cessationists, we probably won't fall into the error of speaking in unintelligible unintelligible tongues like our Pentecostal friends, but we can still fall into the error of praying without understanding. How often do we pray? Maybe we're tired. Maybe we know we need to pray, but we're not really as focused as we need to be. And we may pray for 10, 15, 20 minutes, and then you step back and you realize, what in the world was I praying about? There wasn't a focus in regards to praying. And actually, that focus brings me to the next point. There are many things that distract us throughout the day. You know, things that aren't even necessarily sinful. And those things, when we're praying to God, if we have not set them aside in our minds, can distract us and keep us from focusing on God when the time comes for us to pray. Now, this does not insinuate that you completely cast off every worry or anxiety that is stuck in your mind when you enter into prayer. Because the reality of the fact might be that those may be things that you need to bring up to God in prayer. But rather, what I'm getting at is, you know, those mundane, unimportant things that sometimes are still in our thoughts and flood our heads while we are in that quiet solitude of prayer. We need to be able to set those things aside because when we don't do that, they keep us from being focused when we're praying to God and oftentimes cause us to spend our time in prayer without any real benefit. So we need to be focused. We need to have faith when we're praying. We need to believe that when we pray to God, that he will answer our prayers. Matthew 21, verse 22, Jesus says, And all things you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. Mark 11, verse 24, says the same thing. Therefore, I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask, believe that you have received them and they will be granted you. I mean, what is the point of praying if you don't believe God will answer? What's the point of exercising Futility of wasting your time in an exercise of futility. Charles Hodge, he wrote that a lack of confidence in these precious promises of God, a lack of faith in God's disposition and readiness to hear us, is one of the greatest and most common defects in the prayer of Christians. And that is true. We may pray, but so often we don't pray with faith. 
If you're going to pray, you must believe that you will receive what you are asking for. James writes in James 1, verses 5 through 8, But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. James states that a man who doubts, doubts ought not to expect that he will receive anything from God. So what's the implication there? Don't doubt. Pray with faith. Pray believing that God will answer your prayers. Not only are we to pray with faith, but we ought to be sincere in our prayers. We have to mean in our hearts what we pray with our lips. Solomon tells us in Proverbs 15, verse 11, Sheol and Abaddon lie open before the Lord. How much more the hearts of men. If that is true, then we must take into consideration that we can't be merely praying something that we don't mean. God sees our hearts. Now, that being said, there will be many a times, believe me, in which we pray something out of duty when the feeling isn't there in the moment. I'm not saying if the heart isn't there, then therefore, no pray. But what I am certainly saying is in those times, in those moments, you must humbly ask God to provide the desire. But don't think that you can pray something with your mouth, but then your heart wants something else. As though God is going to just hear your words and not realize you aren't even serious in regards to what you're saying. John Calvin, commenting on this, he writes this. He says, believers ought to be specially on their guard, never to appear in the presence of God with the intention of presenting a request unless they are under serious impression and are at the same time desirous to obtain it. You need to be sincere. The psalmist writes in Psalm 145, verse 18, the Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. You can't fool God. Therefore, be sincere in your request. I mean, he already knows what's in your heart. You might as well just be sincere. The next point, as it pertains to the mindset that we ought to have in prayer, is we need to have a heart of persistence, fervency. In Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8, Jesus gives a parable and he, and he says this, or Luke writes this. Now, Jesus was telling them a parable to show that at all times they ought to pray and not lose heart, saying, In a certain city, there was a judge who did not fear God and did not respect man. There was a widow in that city, and she kept coming to him, saying, Give me legal protection from my opponent. For a while he was unwilling, but afterward he said to himself, Even though I do not fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection. Otherwise, by continually coming, she will wear me out. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge said. Now, will not God bring about justice for his elect who cry to him day and night? And will he delay long over them? I tell you that he will bring about justice for them quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith 
on the earth. And we see Jesus saying effectively the same thing in regards to this persistence in Luke chapter 11, verses 5 through 8, which I won't read, but I will certainly encourage you in your time to read this passage. We do see an example of the type of persistency that we ought to have, actually, in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 15, verses 21 to 28. And I'll read this and just pay attention to this here. So Jesus went away from there. So again, Matthew 15, starting in verse 21. Jesus went away from there and withdrew into the district of Tyre and Sidon. And a Canaanite woman from that region came out and began to cry out, saying, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. But he did not answer her a word. Mind you, she is not a Jew. She is a Gentile, a Canaanite. She cries out to God and He does not answer her initially. And his disciples came and implored him, saying, send her away because she she keeps on shouting at us. But he answered and said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So generally, if we were to hear something like that, this is normally where a person would just give up and say, well, he already said he came to the lost sheep of Israel. I'm not a, a Jew, so... Let me just give up. But yet, this is not what she does. She came and began to bow before him, saying, Lord, help me. And then he answered, and he said, it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. If most people wouldn't have walked away after the first part, a lot of people in their pride, after hearing that, would have just given up. But that's not what she did. She continued She was persistent. She said, yes, Lord, but even the dogs feed on the crumbs which fall from their master's table. And what was Jesus' response? Verse 28 says, then Jesus said to her, oh, woman, your faith is great. It shall be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed at once. Do you see the persistency in her? Do you see the fact, even though To her, it seemed as though she got a no. The reality was, that was not the case at all. She was persistent. And what happened? God answered her prayer. This is how we ought to be in prayer. Now, the question that would arise would be, well, why would God want us to be persistent in prayer? I mean, we know as good, reformed, Calvinistic Christians that we can't change the will of God. So what's the point of praying with this kind of persistence? Again, Charles Hodge, he states this. He says that he requires that we should appreciate the value of the blessings for which we ask and that we should manifest a proper earnestness of desire. So to put it another way, If we understand the fact that God desires that he be glorified, then the reason for our persistency is so that we can praise and glorify him when he grants us what we ask for. If we were to pray to God one time for something, and let's say six months or a year later, we receive what we ask for, we may have very well have forgotten that we even prayed to God. It would not have maybe crossed our mind to give God the praise. However, if we are persistent daily praying to God over and over and over, 
And then we see that God has granted us our request. We are not going to forget to praise the God who gave us what we asked for. And also, when we are persistent in our prayer, we demonstrate the earnestness of our desire, the sincerity, as I mentioned before. I mean, think of it. For those of you who are parents and have kids, if you have a child who asks for something one time and never comes back to you again, you know, they probably didn't really want the thing that they were asking for. Might have been something maybe in the moment, but it really wasn't that big of a deal. However, if they're constantly coming to you daily, then you know, okay, this is probably something that you really want. Likewise, for us, the sincerity of our desire will be made manifest to God by how often we're willingly, we're willing to constantly pray to God regarding that desire. So in a real and true sense, we ought to be, as it says in 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 17, praying without ceasing. John Frame, he, he writes this, he says that if God doesn't answer, you should ask again whether your prayer is in the will of God. But if you still believe it is, keep going. God may have his reasons for postponing the answer that he still intends to give and wait for his answer. That waiting for an answer actually brings me to the next point that ties in with that persistence, which is patience. Psalm 40 verse 1, the psalmist says, I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined me to me and heard my cry. While we must be persistent, that has to be balanced out with patience. God doesn't do things according to our schedule, but according to his. Oftentimes, the answer to our prayers don't come immediately as we would like, but sometimes after some time. And we have to be patient enough to wait for God to act. And that doesn't negate the fact of being persistent. You continue to persist, but in persisting also be patient wait for God to act and the last point is that there has to be also a submissive heart a humble submission to the will of God and see this part of prayer is so important because while we must have enough faith to believe that we will receive from God what we ask we must be humble enough to submit to his will Again, many of you are parents, and we all know that not every request, not every request that our child gives us, we're going to respond with a yes. Sometimes we have to say no, no matter how many times they ask. If we gave our kids everything they wanted, we would be creating spoiled children. And see, God's aim for us is to sanctify us, not to spoil us. Therefore, God will not grant to us every single petition that we make. Sometimes he has to, for our good, tell us no. When that takes place, we have to respond like Jesus did when he asked for God to remove him from the agony that he was about to endure on the cross. He said, not my will, but your will be done. God is not our genie. He is our Lord. All things work out according to his will, not our will. And if we can't humble ourselves and submit to God's will, then rather than humbly respond like Christ, we will become embittered, we'll become angry, 
And you see that so often when people have, you know, propose to have this faith in God and pray to him and expect that God is going to answer and don't have the humility of submitting to his will when things don't work out as they hope. If we don't understand that God's will is what ultimately will get accomplished, then our requests will start to turn into prideful demands. If we don't learn how to say thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, then we're going to start taking the place of God and saying my will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So while we must be persistent in our prayers and have enough faith to believe that we will receive from God what we ask of him, we have to be humble enough to submit to the will of God. So to conclude, prayer is so vital for the Christian life and too much of our time in prayer, if we are praying, is wasted because our mindset isn't right. And all the points that we just covered, reverence, humility, thankfulness, understanding, focus, trust, sincerity, persistence, patience, and a submissive heart help to enable us to have the proper mindset in prayer. Now, I'm not saying that doing this is going to guarantee that now all of a sudden all your prayers are going to be affirmatively answered, but I can assure you that when you pray with this type of mentality, with this type of mindset, your prayers will never be wasted time. So this concludes the lesson for today.